Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Happy Grandparents Day to all the uh, grandparents. Great to be here uh, today on Grandparents Day. I have one granddaughter named Aurelia. She's two years old. This is her up on the screen. Uh, I'm teaching her to swim because uh, my grand vision for the next season of my life is that one day I will be in a big swimming arena and hear over the loudspeaker, swimming in lane seven is Aurelia from Australia. <laughs> so I've been teaching her to, uh, to swim and uh, now that the, the Olympics are going to be in the uh, greater Brisbane area, you know, I'm thinking she'll be 14, you know, maybe she'll be a child prodigy and she might just be swimming uh, for Australia at the 2032 Olympics, who knows. Hey, I want to talk today about passing on you know, a legacy to the next generation. There's some great stories up the back there of families that are just passing on, you know, a godly legacy uh, into the next generation. I'm just uh, really encouraged by being here today. I hope uh, just a quick little uh, look back through modern history. I remember it's great having uh, uh, Jordan and Hannah sitting in the front row when we planted Gateway Ormo. Jordan and Hannah were the only teenagers in the whole church. And as you just heard on Friday night here, there was 47 teenagers here at the youth group at Ormo. How good is that? You know, there's, there's something that's being passed on to the next generation. And young people are hearing about Jesus and uh, having their lives uh, transformed. You know, having Jimmy up here leading worship before, this shows how old I am. I remember when Jimmy was born and uh, me and his dad were leading a youth group together in the western suburbs of Sydney and uh, when he was born Susan my wife uh, cooked his mum Julie a chicken casserole I remember that, and uh, I don't know if the casserole was any good, but I'm absolutely stoked to see the investment that, you know, those in his family have made into him, and he's now in our church family, making investment into our families, you know, as our, as our youth and worship pastor here. You know, today, we're, we're going to finish our service singing a song uh, that, that Casey wrote uh, with, with her dad, Glenn, and I just want you to know, it's a great song, and it's being so around all of our campuses at the moment and is just speaking, you know, the life and the hope and the truth of God uh, into generations. It's great to see the next generation, you know, actually writing songs that are going to speak into our, our current situation. You know, just uh, a couple of weeks ago, our newest campus, our city campus, it's really most of the time that it's actually been a campus, we've been in COVID, uh, had their retreat down at Christmas Creek. They've been copying you guys, going down to the same place to have their uh, re retreat. And that they baptised seven young adults that are students in the city, many of them uh, never growing up hearing about Jesus, but they've become part of our campus there in the city. And essentially, many of their testimonies were the same. It's, we've tasted the world, and now we've tasted Jesus, and Jesus is so much better. 
Isn't that true? Can I just encourage us today right across you know, our, our campuses here at Ormo and, uh, and all of our different campuses, you know, God is at work and he's raising up the next generation. Can I ask for your prayers just over these next couple of weeks? Uh, besides uh, leading Gateway, this year I've actually started leading our Queensland Baptist movement, 220 churches spread across our state. At the moment I'm doing a tour uh, around all of uh, Queensland, all the 12 different regions, meeting with with all the pastors and leaders in churches and we've developed some resources this year to put into the hands of every church in Queensland to help them develop leaders that will make disciples in the next generation because the story I've just told of what is happening here isn't happening right across our state. In fact, our Queensland Baptist churches are 10 years older than our community and many are dying. Can I just pray? Can I ask you to pray that as we share these resources right across our state, we want to see every church thrive. We want to see the next generation raised up in every church. Just be praying that God would be putting hope into the hearts of churches right across our state and that we truly would see revival in this nation in our generation. Can I hear an amen this morning? Amen. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you that you are at work. Thank you that you are doing something great down here at Ormo. I just thank you for the young people. Thank you for each of those 47 young people that were part of uh, the youth group here on Friday night, just hearing your good news, hearing that you have hope for them, hearing that uh, you've created them with an identity, hearing that you've created them with a purpose hearing that your love for them will never run out, that your grace is sufficient for them. And God, I just pray for each of those 47 young people, God, that you would do a deep work in their hearts, that they would become lifelong followers of you, Lord Jesus. And I pray for all of us that are a little bit older than that young generation, whether we're parents or grandparents or even great-grandparents here in this room. God, you'd speak to us about what we can do in this season. God, as we open your word today, as we learn the ways you've worked in the past, help us to see what to do in this season to see the next generation blessed. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Does anyone here have a member of their family that you can see where they've been by what they've left behind? Anyone, anyone got someone like that? My, uh, I don't want to ask, Deb, but... Uh, you know, my, my, you, you can just kind of follow the trail of destruction and, and you can kind of see, you know, where they've been. You can see who's, who's been there. My grandfather, who I, I love, was like that. Wherever he went, you could see where he'd been. He would make a mess with his cup of tea and a lamington that was a sight to behold. Wherever he ate, he just left a trail of crumbs behind him. I think he loved to talk, and I think it's because he talked and ate at the same time. And wherever, wherever he sat, you could just see the trail of crumbs that he left behind. Into the next generation, my dad sort of managed to, uh, to eat without leaving crumbs behind, but he left everything else behind. He left all of his essential accessories behind wherever he, wherever he goes. For as long as I can remember, he's always been looking for his keys, his phone, his wallet, and now his mask. He can never find any of them. Whenever they come to visit us from Sydney, we spend half the time ringing around
around the local shopping centres, finding out where he's left his wallet and his phone and his keys this time. We're on first-name basis with the Lost and Found Department at both Carindale and Capalaba shopping centres. You know, I, I've managed to, uh, to eat without leaving crumbs behind and I tend to be able to hold on to my, most of my essential accessories. But I said to uh, Susan and my kids, you know, how do you know that I've been in a room? What is it that I leave behind? And their initial reactions were unanimous but inappropriate for church and so I won't... Uh, I, I won't repeat them here, but once we got, you know, past some of the smells that were left behind, uh, there was a unanimous decision that I leave behind, and don't judge me for this, we've all got our, you know, gross things, I leave behind toenail clippings on the lounge, and I leave behind neat piles of stuff wherever I go. I don't actually put anything away and I don't clean anything in any helpful way. But whatever room I go into, I get the mess that's there and I just put it into nice, neat piles. They know that's where I've been. Apparently, I leave quite neat piles of toenails on the lounge also. But, you know, we've all got clues of our presence that we leave behind. We, li we make our presence felt in some way. And on Grandparents' Day today, I, I, I want us to reflect on what is the legacy that we're going to leave behind to make our presence felt for generations to come. What's the legacy that we're going to leave behind that's actually going to make our presence felt for generations to come? How are we going to leave behind a godly legacy? We're going to read the story of Hezekiah that's recorded in 2 Chronicles and, and 2 Kings. And uh, Hezekiah became the king of Judah at the age of 25 after his father Ahaz left behind a mess of a nation. His father Ahaz was not a good dad and he was not a good king. He actually was a wicked man. He did evil in the eyes of God. He set up altars to all of these man-made gods around Jerusalem and he shut up the temple, which was the place for people to come and to worship the one true God and he wouldn't let anyone go in. And all that was written... In, in, in the book, the covenant that God had made with his people of how to worship him and honour him was forgotten. There was none of the festivals. They did not follow the law. The doors of the temple were shut and everybody was forbidden from worshipping God. And he was so evil. He wasn't just an evil king, he was an evil dad. He actually sacrificed one of his sons on an altar to one of the gods, man-made gods that he'd placed in Jerusalem. And he left behind an absolute mess of a nation. Because he didn't honour God, because he didn't follow God's word, the people were suffering. Their walls were crumbling down, which was their protection against their, their enemies. You know, the, the social and the economic climate of the nation was in disarray. 
They were were in poverty, there was a lack of education, there was injustice and corruption and hardship and pain and torture throughout the land because this man did not honour God and follow God's command and he left behind a mess of a nation. If you read the prophets Isaiah and Micah and Hosea, God sent them to speak to Ahaz, to try and wake him up. to to tell him to turn from his wicked ways. And yet he would not listen. He left behind a godless legacy and a godless nation. But when Ahaz died, his son Hezekiah becomes the king. Listen to what is said about Hezekiah. 2 Chronicles chapter 29. It says, Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. Listen to what said about Hezekiah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. Now, you don't need to understand here, David's actually his great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpa. But but essentially, nobody had followed God's word in the same way that Hezekiah did. And so he's looking back to... It's it's not that it hadn't been done before, but it was his great-great-great-great-grandpa, David, who had actually led the nation in a way that was right in the eyes of the Lord, but for the generations after, they'd actually led the nation into godlessness. And so in the first month, listen to this, in the first month of the first year of his reign, he opened the doors of the temple of the Lord and he repaired them. So here's Hezekiah, he's a young man, he's leading a nation of about 400,000 people, And he's got a decision to make, like all of us have got a decision to make. You see, whether you're leading a nation, whether you're leading a business, you know, whether you're leading a church, or whether you're leading your family, we've all got a decision to make. How am I going to honour what has happened in the past? And what changes do I need to make so that we actually have a better future? Now, what what is it from my past that I want to honour and we want to keep? and that is worth preserving and passing on to the next generation, and what are the changes that we need to make so that our family has an even better future? Every generation needs to ask that question and make that decision. I want to say today, if you want to leave a godly legacy in your family, start doing now what you already know is right in the eyes of God, even if it's hard. Start doing now. Whatever state your family is in, whatever stage of family that you're at, there are people here who are grandparents, there's people here who are parents, there are people here who are not yet parents, there are people who are uncles and aunties and brothers and sisters and and kids. Whatever state your family is in and whatever stage your family is in, I want to encourage us today to start doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Start doing it now, even if it's hard. It's it's really important. It's recorded here in, in the Scriptures that in the first month, in the first 30 days, in the first year of Hezekiah's reign, nations in an absolute mess, he takes decisive action. He opens the doors of the temple and he repairs them. 
begins doing all that is written in, in the covenant, in the word of God. If you read through you know, 2 Chronicles 28 and 29, you see over and over again, it says Hezekiah obeyed the word of the Lord. Hezekiah did what the word of the Lord said. He repaired the temple, he opened its doors, he began to celebrate the Passover festival once again. He began to read the, the commands, the laws of God, and he got his people to follow them. He smashed all of the altars that his father had built throughout the land. He, he smashed them all and said, we are going to be a people who worship the one true God. And, and then he instigates this worship festival he instigates all of the people to come into the temple and for day after day to worship God. It's kind of like splendor on the grass without all the people smoking grass. But there was a lot of, there was a lot of smoke. All right, he knew. He knew that they had been a sinful people. And so if you read through 2 Chronicles 28 and 29, they actually sacrificed 2,000 bulls and 17,000 sheep to God. They made these blood sacrifices. What they're doing is they're saying to, to God, we deserve to die for our sinfulness. We have broken the covenant. We have broken your law. We deserve to die. But God in his mercy allowed the blood of another to be shed in their place so that their sins could be forgiven. He began to pour out blessing on them once again. And it's a picture of what Jesus would do for all of us one day. See, it's not that any of us in this room loved God first, but he loved us. 1 John 4, it says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. His blood paid for our sins. You see, Hezekiah here, he did, he's right from the start, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, even though it was hard, even though there was a high cost to it. It's a picture of what Jesus would do for all of us one day. He did what was right to fulfill all righteousness so that we could be right with God even though it was hard, even though it cost him his life. This is what it says, Second Chronicles 28. It says, The whole assembly bowed in worship while the musicians played and the trumpets sounded. All this continued until the sacrifice of the burnt offering was completed. When the offerings were finished, the king and everyone present with him knelt down and worshipped. So the service of the temple of the Lord was re-established. You see, Hezekiah starts now. First month, the first year of his reign, I'm going to do what I already know is right, even though it's hard. See, many of us here, we already know what is right but we don't always do what is right because it's hard. You know, whenever I get to a certain weight, I, and I'm probably at that weight about now, I start buying fitness magazines to find out what I can do to get fit again. And I read them and I find out I already know. Eat less and exercise more. 
and I just wasted another $12.95 on a magazine telling me exactly that. See, I already know what is the right thing to do, but because it's hard, I don't always do it. I wonder if some of us, we kind of know what is the right thing to do, but it's hard. We've got some hard decisions to make. If you're a parent, you're the leader of your family. Let me just talk to parents. I just want to talk to parents with school-age kids for a minute. I'm going to get to grandparents in a minute. But if you're a parent, you're the leader of your family, and it's your role to establish a godly home, to actually pass on faith to the next generation. As a church family, we're here to help. But as parents, it's, it's our role. And this doesn't happen by accident. This happens when we are intentional, when we make courageous decisions to establish a godly home. And can I just say again, once more, it's hard. It's not easy. But God in his word has told us how to do it. If you in this room have ever built a house who's worked out it's hard come on put your hand up if you've ever built a house and you've worked out building a house is hard work it's hard work now I guarantee not one of you ever just threw a bunch of money and a bunch of sticks of timber at a builder and said come on just do whatever you want just build it whatever I don't care what shape it is just you know build us a house you didn't do that you actually drew a very detailed plan because you had a very clear shape of how you wanted your house to turn out. And that's what God's word has done for us. He's given us plans of, of how to actually be intentional about our family taking a certain shape. Let me just talk. This, I, this is just for parents with kids at, at home for a minute. I'm just going to share you a little bit of our family plan as our kids were growing up. And I'm going to share from some of the things that worked and some of our mistakes looking back as a grandparent that I now regret and I wish I'd done differently. Okay, this is a, this is a family plan. Uh, just, I'm going to race through this really, really quickly. Hopefully there's something helpful uh, in this for you. What is the shape that you want your family to take? Be kind and compassionate to each other, forgiving one another just as Christ has forgiven you that verse Ephesians 4 verse 32 was on our wall every day as our kids were growing up in our dining room and we looked at it and we said that's what we're going to do now I'm not saying that should be your family verse I'm just saying what are you going to keep pointing to we didn't always get it right every day we kept coming down to back to what does it look like to be kind and compassionate to one another and to forgive one another when we get it wrong, just as Christ has forgiven us? Secondly, pray with your kids every night. Learn from my mistakes. When my kids were little, when they were young, I would kneel beside their bed, I would put my hand on their head and I would hold their hand and I would pray that they would know that there is a Father in heaven who is perfect who will never let them down, who will always love them every day of their lives, whose grace is sufficient for them. I pray that they would know this every single day of their lives. They'd know their Father's love. And I'm very, very grateful that by and large, I believe God has answered that prayer for, for my kids as I prayed it for them. But I tell you the thing I regret. There's a time when it gets weird 
putting your hand on your kid's head and holding their hand behind, beside their bed. And it got weird for our kids. And I gave up praying with my kids every night. I now look back on that in regret. And I wish I'd found some new ways to do that in new seasons. That probably didn't mean sitting behind, beside their bed with my hand on their head. Very simple. It's actually not costly. But I'd encourage you here today. Start doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Even when it's hard. Devotions every Wednesday. Can I just say this is hard. We had different seasons in our family. Sometimes we tried to do devotions every night. Sometimes we tried to do it once a week. Sometimes we just read something out of a book for a few minutes. Sometimes I'd prepare a 45-minute family devotion with, with four points and six Bible readings. And by the end of the devotion about the love of God, I had confiscated every piece of electronic equipment that my kids owned. I had a pile of iPads and iPhones and all sorts of things beside, the, uh, beside my chair because they weren't listening listening while I was trying to explain to them about the love of God and about the 43rd minute Susan would start rolling her eyes and I'd have to confiscate her iPhone as well. All I'm saying is I know this is hard I just want to encourage you persevere it's important. Friday night youth every Friday you've heard me talk about the importance of of, uh, young people coming together Can I just encourage you, make that a priority in your family. You want to pass faith on to the next generation. Never, ever use it as a punishment. Never, never ever say, if you don't clean your room, you're not going to youth on Friday night. Confiscate everything else their own. Take pocket money off them for the rest of their lives. But don't stop them from coming here on Friday night. Pizza and play every Saturday night. Again, this didn't cost a lot. We used to buy three Domino's pizzas from the base value range every Saturday night we'd share them and we'd go to Wellington Point beside the water and we'd run around playing tiggy and eating pizza until Susan decided I don't want to play tiggy anymore it's getting weird it was an important part of our family sticking together worship every Sunday pretty much the same as Friday just want to encourage you you want to pass faith on to the next generation love circle every birthday you know, I've done a lot of funerals, been a privilege to bury a bunch of people, but I've had too many families that I've walked alongside that said, I really wish I had the chance to tell my dad or my granddad how much I love them, and I never did, and I've just decided that's never going to happen in my family. So every birthday, we go around the circle, and we're just extravagant in praise and encouragement and telling the person whose birthday is, how much we love them and what we love about them. I hope there's no funerals in our family for a long time, but whenever there is, there'll be nothing left to say because we've already said it, become part of our plan. And lastly, this is really important for those of you who are graduating from primary school age kids to high school age kids, a family adventure every year. I wanted my kids to have a wholesome adventure in our family so that they didn't go chasing after unwholesome adventures in other places. And so sometimes it meant camping in the middle of the bush with no showers and no toilets. And other times, it was a little more extravagant. It was skiing down the slopes of New Zealand. We had an adventure every year. Now, I'm not saying that's the perfect plan. I'm not saying it's the plan that you should follow. 
What I am saying is, if you're a parent here today, you want to lead your family, you want to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord, you want to pass on faith to the next generation, you want to leave a godly legacy in your family, it won't happen by accident. Great families, godly families, do not happen by accident. They happen when parents do what is right in the eyes of the Lord, even when it's hard. You see, great families follow God's plan. You want to leave a godly legacy in your family, start doing what, whatever stage, whatever state, start doing what is right now, even if it's hard. You'll reap what you sow. Secondly, you want to leave a godly family set, a godly legacy in your family, set a godly example. Just go back to verse 29. It says, When the offerings were finished, the king and everyone present with him knelt down and worshipped God. We don't really see the significance of just of this when you just read this one verse, because we don't bow down to anybody. As Aussies, we pride ourselves on being independent. We pride ourselves on being our own boss. We avoid submitting to leaders at all costs. But in this culture, everyone of every age bowed down in submission to their king. I want you to imagine something this morning. Andrew Main, come up here. I want you to imagine Andrew Main is the king. He's a skinny-looking king these days, isn't he? Hey, he's looking good, skinny king. Give him a hand. When the king, when the king walked into the room, every single person in the room would get down on their knees and put their face on the ground before the king. This is a very vulnerable place to be. (laughs) King Andrew could do to me whatever he likes whatever he's been dreaming of for the last 17 years. It's very tempting. This is very humbling, and I feel very vulnerable. What you need to understand is what had never been seen for generations was the king bowing down before God. And when they came into the temple, a little more extravagant than this, but a room like this to worship God, the king who's wearing the crown bowed down. (laughs) Before God, with his face to the ground. They had not seen this since King David, six or seven generations before. The king, the one with all power and authority, actually choosing to bow down before another and say, there is someone with greater authority than me. There's someone with greater power than me. And as cool as my pink crown is, there's someone with greater glory than me. Why don't you put your hands together for King Andrew this morning. As the king said, God is my leader, and I submit to him. Did you notice what happened? All the people followed suit. When they saw the king kneel down, the whole assembly 
kneeled before their God for the first time in generations. You want to leave a godly legacy in your family? Set a godly example. This is my grandfather up on the screen. I love my grandpa. I spent a lot of time with him as a young boy. I I love that uh, Glenn's Austin's out the front here. Because my, my grandfather in, in 1952, that's an Austin uh, 1951 model. In 1952, my grandfather came home from, uh, he'd been home from World War II for a few years, married my grandmother who was a nurse in the army. They met uh, as he was coming home from New Guinea. And uh, not Christians, didn't know God, hadn't grown up in Christian family. And just getting on with life, trying to make a buck in the western suburbs of Sydney. But my grandfather, Frank, who you see up there on the screen, he had a neighbour named Frank. Any Franks in the room this morning? Okay, back in 1952, there was Franks everywhere. You know, that's Frank, and he had a neighbour named Frank, and his neighbour kept inviting him to church. And my grandfather, Frank, kept saying no, because he wasn't interested in church. But eventually, his neighbour, Frank, turned up out the front of my grandfather's place with a 1951 model Austin, like that one out there, 70 years ago. First time he'd ever had a car and my grandfather had never owned a car. And his neighbour Frank said, if you come to church with me, I'll let you drive my Austin. My grandfather changed his mind. He went to church in 1952 and I got his baptism certificate that I carry around everywhere. It says, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, believing this with all my heart and resting wholly upon our finished work of Jesus for salvation. I confessed my faith in him at Epping Church of Christ on the Lord's Day, July the 6th, 1952. Frank Ellsmore, a sinner saved by grace. First generation Christian. You know, my grandfather died 25 years ago, but my grandmother only died two years ago. And when we gathered together for her funeral, we had to fight over who was going to lead her funeral because seven of us are full-time pastors in the local church somewhere in Australia, and every single one of us, four generations, is a devoted follower of Jesus serving somewhere in a local church in Australia. Why? Because one bloke named Frank invited my grandfather Frank to church and my grandfather Frank set for me and for all of our family a godly example to follow. My grandfather Frank was not a perfect man. People called him Cranky Frankie. But I tell you, I got Ephesians 4 verse 32 from him. He upset people all the time in the workplace and in his family but he was always the first to forgive. He was always the first to go and restore and reconcile the relationship. My grandfather was a hard worker. His favourite saying when I was a young kid was, I wouldn't feed the lazy coot. I don't know why bandicoots are so lazy, but in his mind they were. And if someone didn't work hard, he wouldn't feed them. My grandfather did work hard. 
But I never saw him, except when he was in hospital, miss a Sunday church service. Not once. And I never saw him miss a family dinner. Not once. He worked very, very hard. And he expected other people to work hard. But he cared for those that were in need. And he gave generously. He gave generously to the Bible college that I and Andrew and some others in this room maybe, James's dad for sure, went to, to actually train for ministry. I didn't know this until years later, and he did it years before. I went to that Bible college. He was a man that invested into his local church, and he was a man, he was a builder, property developer, lots of people working for him. He had this big desk, always had plans and bills sitting all over it. But I never, ever saw his desk without his Bible open. And people would walk into his office and the first thing they always saw was his Bible open. He had no fear of man. He wanted everybody that worked for him, everyone that came to, uh, to get work from him, to see that he was a man who followed the word of God. He set a godly example. And he's left a legacy in our family that I've never, ever forgotten. You want to leave a godly legacy in your family? Set a godly example. People are actually looking at what you do much more than what you say. People are watching the way that you choose to prioritise your life, the way that you choose to follow Jesus. Hezekiah is a godly leader. He's done everything right in the eyes of God. But I hope you know today that this is not an insurance policy to protect us from trouble. I hope you've already worked that out. You can do everything that's right and you can still have trouble in your family that you've got to overcome. Please don't sit here today and feel any condemnation because there's problems in your family right now. God had problems in his family. Adam and Eve kind of messed things up. They were his kids. And yet he did whatever he could to forgive and to restore the relationship. And I want to encourage you today that families have been a little bent out of shape ever since Adam and Eve chose to disobey their father. And someone's going to have to follow in the footsteps of Jesus if we're going to actually see relationships restored, if we're going to see forgiveness flow, if we're going to see families reconciled together. Second Kings 18, the king of Assyria comes looking for a fight. He's wiped out the surrounding nations. Assyria is an evil empire and he's going to wipe out Judah if Hezekiah won't surrender to him. And he comes to Jerusalem and very strategically he stops at a well called the Pool of Siloam. Can you just say that with me? The Pool of Siloam. I want you to remember that just a few minutes' time. This is where the king of Assyria, a guy named Sennacherib, I'm not sure really how you say it, but that's how I say it. We're going to call him Sennacherib. He's the king of Assyria. He stopped at the pool of Siloam, and it's at the pool of Siloam that he starts threatening Hezekiah and mocking his leadership and mocking God. He tells everyone that he's going to cut off their water supply and he's going to starve them to death. They're going to die of thirst. And he writes a letter to Hezekiah, and he says, this is what I'm going to do. 
This is the way, you know, I'm going to wipe you out. And Hezekiah's freaking out. He's carrying this letter around. It says in 2 Kings 19, Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and it says he spread it out before the Lord and he prayed to the Lord. He says, God, only you can fix this. He spreads out this threat against his family, against his nation before, the God, before God and says, God, only you can fix this. Stretch out your hand and do what only you can do. You want to leave a godly legacy in your family? We've got to start doing what is right. There's something we can do. We've got to set an example as, as parents and as grandparents for the next generations to follow behind us. But then we're all going to come to some grief. There's some problems in our family and we've got to spread out our prayer before God. I wonder what you've got to spread out before God for your family right now. Hezekiah prays and I don't have time to tell the whole story but God sends Isaiah the prophet to tell him that there's going to be a victory without him even lifting a finger. And that night God sends a plague amongst the Assyrians and there's dead bodies everywhere. And it says in 2 Kings 19, when the people got up the next morning, all the dead bodies, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh and he stayed there. I'd stay there too. This God is powerful. This God is scary. There is nothing that this God cannot do. There's times when as parents... And I'd say even more so as grandparents, when we have less influence over our kids and our grandkids than, than what we had when they were in our own home, there is a time to spread out your requests before God. There's a time to come before God and say, all is not as it should be in our family. Here's my prayer. I want to encourage you to do something really practical. I want you as a family to write a family plan, then start doing it, set the example, and then write a prayer. What's the prayer that you're going to pray for your family? What are you going to spread out before God and say, God, only you can do this? I got a prayer like that I wrote on my 47th birthday. I'd become a grandpa a month before. I got a prayer, it sits on my desktop on my computer. I just keep going back to it and say, I'm praying this for the generations to come. God gives Hezekiah a miraculous victory and he's absolutely determined to never allow future generations to be threatened like this again. Never will we be starved out. Never will our water supply be cut off again. 2 Kings chapter 20, it says this, As for the other events of Hezekiah's reign, all his achievements and how he made the pool and the tunnel by which he brought water into the city, are they not written in the book of the annals of the kings of Judah? Hezekiah rested with his ancestors. The end of his life, and Manasseh, his son, succeeded him as king. It's a whole bunch of things we've got recorded about Hezekiah. It's a whole bunch of things he did to bless the nation. There's a whole bunch of things that have been forgotten. There'll be a whole bunch of things that are getting forgotten in your life, but Hezekiah builds a tunnel 533 metres long through solid rock. This was not easy in a time before power tools and dynamite to provide underground access to the well outside the city walls. 
They could divert water underground into the city and their enemies could never again in the generations to come threaten to cut off their water supply. Lots of Hezekiah's achievements in those 29 years have been forgotten, but 2,700 years later, that tunnel, Hezekiah's tunnel, is still there today. You can walk through it when you visit Jerusalem. This is Hezekiah's legacy. It's what he left behind to bless future generations. I want to ask you today, what are you going to leave behind? What are you building in this generation that is going to bless generations to come? I don't, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be remembered for the home I owned. I don't want to be remembered for the car I drove. I don't want to be remembered for the size of the TV I had on my wall. I want to be remembered for the family that God built around me and for doing my bit to shape the kingdom of God here on earth, here in Brisbane and in this nation in my generation. What's the legacy you're going to leave behind? I want to encourage you today whether you're a parent, a grandparent, a great-grandparent, leave a godly legacy in your family. Start doing, whatever stage, whatever state your family's in, start doing what you know is right in the eyes of God. Even if it's hard, and it will be hard. Building a godly family is not easy. It does not happen by accident. But it happens when you follow God's plan. Set a godly example. The generations below you are watching whether you like it or not. They're going to follow your example. And I reckon there's a bunch of us here today to say there's things in our family that aren't, they're a bit out of shape. I'm going to be the one that's actually going to choose to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. I'm going to set a godly example. I'm going to spread out my prayer before God. This is what I'm going to believe for. This is what I'm going to believe God is going to do in the generations to come. I'm going to build a godly legacy. Hey, we're going to sing that great song that Casey's written in a minute and talks about the the greatness of God. God is is the one that is all that we need is the one that sets us free. I just wonder here today, I don't know what stage your family's at or what state your family's in, but if you just simply say today, today, Grandparents Day 2021, I'm going to start doing what I know is right in the eyes of God, even though it's hard. I'm going to set a godly example for the generations behind me to follow, and I'm going to spread out my prayer before God spread out my prayer for my family and for the generations to follow if that's you today whatever way you need to respond I'm not going to ask you to come down the front I'm just going to ask you to stand where you are I'm just going to pray that God will pour out blessing on your family just do that right now if that's you you're just going to start doing what you know is right you're going to set a godly example for those behind you to follow spread out your prayer before God. Say, God, only you can do this. If that's you today, just hold your hands out. I'd love to pray a blessing over your family.
God, thank you. I thank you for the blessing of family. I thank you for blessings that you've poured down from generation to generation. Even as I look around this room, I can see the way that faith has been passed down from generation to generation. God, I just pray that for every family in this room. God, would you help us? Some of us here need to follow in the footsteps of Jesus to be the one to give kindness and forgiveness and compassion, and it doesn't seem fair. God, would you help us to do what is right, even though it's hard? God, I pray some of us have been consistently following you, setting an example. God, would you give us strength to persevere? Sometimes you bring miraculous victories, God, just through a simple prayer. And sometimes as we pray, you give us the strength to endure. And God, I pray today that some of us here today need the strength to endure. God, would you help us to keep doing what is right, to set a godly example for the next generation, even when we can't see the impact that we're having. And God, I pray today for miracles in families where there's brokenness as we spread out our prayers before you. God, would you restore what is broken? God, would you reconcile what is pulled apart? God, those prodigals that have wandered away, God, we pray that they would come before you in humility and they'd find salvation in you. God, would you put faith in our hearts for miracles in families today? I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody said? We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes to our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.